Thank you, and good evening. You know, the longer I spend in Durban, the more incredible people I meet. Um, and when you have them in your community, you really want to boast about them. And Dan, I just want to say thank you for blessing us today. They haven't actually gone home. They've just kind of been around church. They went to botanical gardens, came back. They've just blessed our church all day. But you have left the States to come and bless us. Tell us the heart behind Key of Hope quickly. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having us here. It's great to just be a part of this. Um, the heart behind it is really comes kind of out of mine and my wife's heart. I'm, I'm actually the oldest of 14 children. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's always the reaction. Yeah. Uh, that's the first time I heard a whistle. Someone yeah. was like proud. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my mom had six of us kids, and then they adopted eight more. Every time one of us got married, they just adopted a couple more kids. <laughs> and so I sort of grew up in this environment of family within which we were led to Christ and, and discipled and, and molded and shaped. And so our heartbeat was to come here and provide that same thing for kids who are being affected by poverty and AIDS and all these other things where they could come into a family, um, be introduced to the gospel, and have a transformational atmosphere where they could be discipled and follow Christ. Isn't that amazing? You, you have a, a thousand kids who come to your kids' club, and everything kind of works out of that. Talk to us about how that all works. Yeah, so that's the how. That's how we do it. We have all kinds of programs that we have. Of course, there's the music programs, the, the choir. We have a, a junior choir of, like, little kids that are kind of on their way. They're so cute. Um, we have sports. We have soccer and netball. We have after-school extra lessons. Um, we end up helping a lot of kids get into school. Um, paying fees or buying shoes or getting a birth certificate so they can just get into school. Um, and then we have our, our programs that we do at Key of Hope where we have a youth night, we have a young adults gathering and kids club. So a thousand kids uh, that will come through just on a Friday and a Saturday. Now every kid, here's the other side that's important um, when it comes to the relationship. Every one of the kids that is involved with us we visit them at home every single week. So we're not an orphanage. Um, most of kids that are affected in this way or orphaned, they're, they're still in the communities. They've been taken in by auntie or granny or someone like that. And, and so we go find them, identify them, come alongside those households. And so we're visiting them every single week. Either me or one of my staff is in the community visiting them every single week. We visit about 2,000 kids a week every single week, just checking on them, building that relationship. But it all comes back to that family environment where we're, you know, just discipling them and leading them to follow Christ. Okay, so how can we get involved? Lots to do. I mean, um, you know, there's, there's different ways that people can get involved. You know, every, everyone has different gifts. Everyone has different personalities. And so some people will come and just help us paint something or, or renovate an office or, or go in and even um, fix up uh, one of the granny's homes or something like that. Uh, it's leaking water. Um, and so there's those project type things you can get involved in. Then the other side is actually directly with kids. So either as a teaching extra lessons for, for maths or English after school or uh, one of our programs on the weekend. So if you were interested in getting involved in one of those things in some way, the best thing to do is go to our website. It's keyofhope.org. And then just go to keyofhope.org slash volunteer. And there's ways on there that you can get involved and connect with us and we can plug you in the right place. Why don't you give him a hand and his family and just thank you so much. Thank you for today. Thank you, thank you so much.
the first service was a disaster. Um, mostly because half of you were doing the big walk, and that's why some of you more elderly folk are here today. It's, it's really lovely having you. The 10 a.m. service was, was great because I realized that no fit people come to the 10 a.m. service. It's just, it was just full up. But, uh, but the reason the 8.15 was so tough for me was I watched that video, and, and I was about to ugly cry. I managed to keep that inside, and then I got up to preach, and my preach went, I don't know where it went. So if you see anyone who came to A15, just say sorry on my behalf. Uh, But today we kick off this new series uh, called In This Home. And um, last week, Ames, she did something that pastors always go like, (gasps) when when your wife does this, She, she spoke about the fact that we've just got a house. And, uh, and how God had blessed us to be able to get it. It was, it was a miracle. And uh, as she was saying it, I was, I was like doing a semi-die inside because I know how people think. Like all my non-Christian mates, the first question they always ask me is, Ross, so how does the finance stuff work in the church? Like that's, the fir- that's where they go, straight off to that. And, and I know that you expect that I'm going to buy a house, then a Learjet, and like how it's going to carry on. And, and so we kind of die inside. And, and whilst I was standing there, I felt like the Holy Spirit put into my heart, if you do not tell people about how you're blessed, they won't expect to be blessed. And, uh, and I, I get this. In fact, just before I got a house, one of my friends, he, like if anybody didn't deserve it, it was probably him. No, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So he phones me up and, and he tells me about this house he's just bought. And um, and I'm listening to it, and what I realized, he tells me the number, and I think he's made a mistake, because he basically stole the house. That's, that's all he could have done. It was so cheap. And, and he tells me, and I have this thought in my mind, and none of you would have had this thought, but I had this thought. It just came into my mind. I just went, where's mine, God? I know, none of you think like that. And then I went, if I don't, in this moment, turn this into praise, I will miss out on the kingdom. Because the way the kingdom works is you you start to praise God for what he does in someone else. It changes something inside of you, and then you're able to receive. And so this journey that we're going to talk about, we're going to be speaking about finances. and, And part of the talk about finances is because we need to make stuff like what they're doing sustainable. That's... And, and if what I speak about gets into your heart, you'll start to see how the kingdom can advance. I, I really think it will shift your, your life, actually, if you get the stuff I'm going to speak about into your heart. But um, after we, we bought the house and, and that thing was all working, Aim says to me, she says, babe, do you want to come and look at what I've pinned? <laughs> so like... I know she's been pinning stuff on Pinterest for the last, like, three and a half years, four years since we've been renting. And, and I thought to myself, even looking at that is going to be expensive. <laughs> like, just don't even look at it, don't think about it, don't go near it. It's, it's kind of like, guys, if you're dating, the person you're dating, if you're thinking about marrying her, she has been thinking about wedding dresses since she was about nine. Somewhere, six to nine, somewhere there, she started. Like, it just, it's part of the deal. And so the moment those words come up, just know, even the sentence is going to cost me. That's just how it's going to go. <laughs> this is what was going on in my mind. But, but here's what she was, she was starting to say. She was starting to say, we've got a house, 
but I want to make it into a home. And see, there's a big difference between a house and a home. A house is an asset that you buy and sell, but a home is somewhere that memories happen. So I can remember our first, the first house we bought. I, I remember this wall that that oak over there with a the white shirt on. He, I, I, he was a student at the time. I said to him, come, I need help. Um, we're going to bash down some of these walls because my wife was trying to make a house into a home. So, so we started knocking through the walls. And anyway, he had a 14-pound hammer, and we'd done a bit of a dent in this wall. And then he swung an almighty swing, and it went, it knocked the brick out. It knocked, the hammer went flying through to the next wall, just smashed into the next wall. He almost took two walls out one shot. It was, it was amazing. I, I remember that room. It was one of my favorite rooms. Um, it, it opened up onto a room that we added. And I, I remember we, we added this room. These two rooms kind of came together. And I remember the day when my wife was helping me put floorboards in because we were expecting our second child. And while she was knocking in the nails, her waters broke. I know, that's a hardcore wife. I, I remember in that room praying. I remember my little boy rolling a ball, and he, was, he was, couldn't walk, but he was learning to kick the ball back to me. I, I remember moments, because this is what happens in a home. You get memories in a home. A home is something that's full of warmth and life. Now, for many of you, this building, it just is a place that you go to on Sundays sometimes. And for some of us, this place is a home. It's a spiritual home. And now, I know some of you are thinking, is like, do they sleep there? Like, how does this whole thing work? No, this, this is a spiritual home because we, so many people spend so much of their life here. You know, I, I don't, I'm not sure if you know this, but tomorrow night, about three spaces will be used here. And in the morning, a ladies' meeting will be ha- happening. And then in, it's, on Tuesday, there'll be about four courses going on in the space, like upstairs there in the garage and here, out there. Like, and then Wednesday, the same. And then Thursday, there'll be three or four things happening. And then on Friday, there'll be youth. And then there's a recovery thing that's happening across there. And, and on Saturdays, sometimes we have weddings and events in that space, sometimes weddings in here. This place is just used the whole time, which is really, really important. Because about 300 families and some singles paid for this to all happen. They paid a ridiculous amount of money. They paid well over 10 million so that you could get a spiritual home. And so every one of those people goes, amen, we know it's being used, it's becoming a spiritual home. It's like, yay. And if you kind of only came here since this has been in place, because church used to be over there, if you've come only since this, you've got to know you have come into a community that is so deeply, sacrificially generous, it's phenomenal. That's kind of what's happening in this home. So tonight, what I'm going to do, I'm kicking off the series, I'm going to talk about two aspects. I'm going to talk about the giving to the home, because when you, one day, if you already have, you've got a home, you know it costs to make the house into the home. So I'm going to talk about that, but I'm also going to talk about the things you bring into the home. So uh, let me try and explain this a little bit better. Have you ever seen those cheesy things that look like this? It, it goes, in this home, we laugh loudly, we make mistakes, we say, I'm sorry, we're patient. It, it's actually really sweet. If, if I had it, I would say at the bottom, kids do chores, lots and lots and lots of chores. Like, I, I, would, I would add that. But, but the essence is, in this home, 
This is what we value. That's, that's really what that's saying. In this home, I have a dream. I, I have a dream. It's about something God's been doing in my heart over years. And I dream that this becomes a reality. I dream that in this home, people give cheerfully. Now, I know that sounds like an oxymoron, because give and cheerfully. Like, get cheerfully? Yes, we get that. But give cheerfully. No, no, we, we don't give cheerfully. We give guiltily. You, you're going to leave here. There's going to be a car guard. He's going to come past you. You're going to go, guiltily. This is just how we are. And then you, you're going to go, there's been another car guard. And then, and then Aunt Edna's got a birthday, and you only see her twice twice a year, but you've got to give because it's a birthday, and you give guiltily. It's just, it's kind of hardwired into us. We give guiltily. It happens all the time. I remember sitting in the back of a church one day, and, um, and the tithe basket was coming around. I was barely a Christian, and as it came around, I thought to myself, what is the least amount I can take out of my wallet and give so that I'm not judged in this space? I was giving out of guilt. It's just kind of how, what happens? So when I say these words, give cheerfully, I really believe that it's a thing, that it can happen. And I want to tell you the secret about it, because if you get this, it shifts stuff and it makes that kind of stuff sustainable. So we're going to dive into the scriptures, and most of today I'm going to talk about my story, my journey along this road to being able to think like this. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1, and here's how it starts. Now just so you know, because the temperature in the room, as soon as I started using those money languages, I could feel the temperature was just going down. The tithe basket's been taken. It's done. Not going to happen again. You can relax. And I'm going to tell you how to be cheerful, like it, it's a good night. Okay, 2 Corinthians 8.1, it says this. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. Who feels like you have many troubles, and you are very poor? <laughs> All the students put their hands up. Okay. <laughs> The troubles are because you don't study and date badly. But anyway, but they are also filled. Oh, I love you, students. Okay. But they come, come back, come back. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gifts of the believers in Jerusalem. Many troubles, very poor, abundant joy, and overflowing generosity. Now, science, it's, it's really fascinating. What science has found, and here's my first point that I have learned that cheerful giving is a result of a full heart, not a full wallet. Okay. So people have done research on giving across the spectrum, Christians, non-Christians, the whole lot. And what they've consistently found is that the more money you make, the less percentage-wise you give away. Which it wouldn't make sense. Like It doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective because you would think oh, he makes more money, he's going to give more away. That's how you would think. But it makes sense from a biblical worldview. I'll tell you why. Because in James, I think it's chapter 3, it says that 
that God has given the poor faith, which is logical. Here's why. Because when you're poor, you don't have money to fix problems, so you learn to pray. Okay? So faith is deposited into the poor, the poor full of faith. But when you start to make some money, then you don't just have God to fix the problem. Now you've got a little bit of money to fix the problem as well. And now you, you think twice, am I going to go to God or am I going to go to money? And the more money you make, the more likely you are to rely on the money to fix the problem than God. Okay? Make sense? Which is why Jesus says, you can't serve both God and mammon. You will either love one and hate the other, or you will hold on to one and despise the other. You, you, can't, they, you can't have both as masters. Here's, here's how the Jews would have thought when they heard that. So this is first century uh, Ju- Judaism. They would have thought, you get a master who you serve, and if you serve that master really well, well, maybe he'll put like Netflix in your room and you'll get your, your kids will go to school and he'll take care of your needs. So when they heard that, they would have gone, Jesus is talking about a master that can either be God or money. And so they would have, they would have gone, man, I've got to choose on this thing. Now, I tell you that because what inspires me is when I meet wealthy people who are full of abundant joy and rich in generosity. Because when I meet those people, here's why it's so inspiring, because they've got the money to solve the problem, but somehow they've learned to trust in God to solve the problem despite having the money. When you meet one of those people, you go like, I need to learn from you. So because I work in um, lots of city initiatives and with different Christians around the city, I've got to make good friendships with with really wealthy business guys who I've gone, I'm going to learn from you because you've got this thing waxed. You're full of joy and you're incredibly generous. I'm not talking generous like they take what's left in their wallet and they give it away. I'm talking generous like they will empty the coffers in steps of generosity and trust God to fill them again. That's the kind of person I'm talking about. Now, you may not be there, but this is what I found in life. If you find someone who can do something better than you, get alongside them, learn from them, because it'll help you get a little closer. And here's the other thing. What I believe, let's just be really honest. How many of you just really want to be poor so that you can be full of faith? No, no. You see, everybody wants to be a little bit richer and a little bit more generous. Is that not true? We all want to be a little richer, a little more generous. Some of you want to be much richer and not generous at all, but we're going to take you on this journey. So as I've got speaking to these guys and and let them speak into my life, what I've learned is that they have this one principle absolutely waxed. They don't don't just talk about it. They live it. They believe it. They breathe it. This shapes their reality. And it comes from the next chapter. So we've just read 2 Corinthians 8, which gives us the context. And then 2 Corinthians 9 says this. The point is, is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, remember, here's the context. They're talking, he's talking to the church about giving to another church for kingdom advancement. Okay, so the, converse, the conversation is about money. He's not trying to turn everybody into farmers, okay? Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Just think about those words. Because you want this. All sufficiency, all the time, in all things. You're happy for that. You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. My first point is that cheerful givers come from not a full wallet but a full heart. My second point is cheerful givers believe in sowing and reaping. So he uses these farming analogies because because God wants us to think like farmers when it comes to our money. And he says, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. And then he says, for God is the one who gives you Seed to sow and seed to eat. So a farmer understands this. He goes, if I eat less and sow more, I will have more next year to eat and sow. That's how he thinks. It's not that complicated. This is what Paul's trying to get into us in terms of kingdom thinking. He's trying to get us into a space where we go, if I want to have more to eat and to sow, then I need to sow more. Listen to the words that that he uses. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Now, during worship, I had a little conversation with Seth because I felt in my heart that we should give a certain percentage of, of some of the money that's coming in to these guys and to live. In that moment... Let's just read this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. In that moment, I purposed in my heart an amount that we were going to sow into these two ministries. In that moment, I made a decision and God went, hmm, I'm going to provide seed so that he can sow. You understand? It was an amount that we don't have yet, okay? But in that moment, I partnered with God and I would have released something from heaven to give. Really, really important. Because you want to be in the cycle of God getting involved in your finances. When I first came to faith, what I was taught is that basically you gave, are you freezing, Lutz? Shall we warm up? Can Can we warm up a little for Luther? When I first came to to faith, I was taught that you sow financially so that you reap spiritually. 
which is true, but it's not the whole truth. So what I believed is that you give money so that you can feel good about giving money, and they'll feel good about getting money. Like, that, that's how I thought. I never thought or was taught that when you give financially, you will reap back financially. I was actually told that was wrong. That was, that was how I was taught. And, and so I kind of got thinking about that, and, and I realized if that's the truth, if God doesn't get involved in the finances that we sow, then what happened to the Macedonian church was cruel, okay? Because what they did is they took seed that they needed to eat, and they sowed it because they believed that God was going to give them more seed to eat. If If God doesn't get involved in your finances when you sow, well then Paul shouldn't have let them give that away because it's evil to take food away from people. You understand? But God goes, nah, I am dying to get involved in your finances. I am so excited. I just need faith. You see, when you get this principle, you stop doing this. You know, I told you about my mate who, who got blessed, and I went, where's mine? We kind of believe, like my kids do to me, we, we kind of believe that if we do like puppy dog eyes, that God's going to look down and bless us. That's, that's how we think. And God goes, nah, I'll do that when you're three. But, but I want you to take a step of faith, because then you're speaking my language. I can get involved with faith. I need you to take a step. So anyway, I've, over the years, I've taken steps, not cheerfully. I had no cheerful on. I had stress on with my steps. And, uh, and one business guy came to see me, and he was a really generous guy. And he, he sat down and he said, Ross, I have given so sacrificially that I feel like I've hurt my family and I've hurt my business. Has anyone ever had, had that happen to them? Anyway, it was, it was at the stage when when this whole project was going, and, and I turned to him and I said, I feel like I've given so sacrificially. He was coming for counseling. I was going like, this is going to be a support group, buddy, because like we're in the same space. <laughs> so, so I said, how's about we get someone who's got this thing waxed? So I phoned up one of, one of my mates, and, um, and we went to see him, and we had this conversation, and we, we, we said to him, this is where we're at. He actually told him where he's at. And the guy sat on the other side, and he just started laughing, which I thought was completely inappropriate. But he, he just laughed, and he laughed, and he laughed. And then he said, he said, he started telling us stories about drought seasons, where he would give and give, and then nothing would happen. And he'd wait and wait and wait, and he said, because you don't know when those flipping potatoes have grown. Because so often you can't tell when you're going to reap. So often that thing's stuck in the ground and you're going like, is that ever going to happen? And he said to me, he said, this has happened again and again. And then he started telling me stories of how he'd wait. And he honestly, he said, I thought I was going to have to sell the car, the house, the business. Everything was going to go just so that I could pay my bills and then God. And then God. And he just told one story after the next, after the next like this. And I started doing something different from that story, from that day. I started going kite surfing and shouting to God. Not at God, to God. I started shouting and proclaiming, God, you promised 
You said, press down, overflowing. You promised that my God shall supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. But I wasn't saying it like this. I was shouting it. I had to go kite surfing so nobody can hear me. I was shouting, God. And as I was shouting, you would have thought that I would have annoyed God. But as I was shouting, what I started to realize is that I could feel the pleasure of God because God loves it when you remind him of the promises. And what that starts to do is it stirs up hope that he's going to come through with his promises. And that produces cheerful givers. Not church. I, I get it. There, there are going to be people in here like, that oak is lying to you. I've, I've been that person. But this is what I want you to know. If you get this principle right, because I've given generously over the years to, because I'm not naturally generous, I just went, I'm going to go big with strategic projects. So I've done it. Only now, this is the fourth strategic project, only now am I getting joy because this is settling in. And I want you to get it from the beginning. And for some of you, you've given so sacrificially to this building and you're running out of hope. And this message is for you because I want you to be cheerful. God will come through. Now, I'm going to end the service by bringing up Sarah, who is, she makes everything around her look and feel beautiful. That's, that's her job. She runs on very limited resources. And uh, this Heart for the House series is to raise some funds. Now, if you don't feel led to give, Chill out. Don't give. The gospel's free. Just come back here next week and let the love of God touch you. Like, no pressure. But if you're feeling like stirred, if something of the Spirit of God is stirring inside of you to give, here's part of where we wanted to go. So Sarah, who's absolutely awesome, is going to share with you on some of the stuff we're going to do. We were supposed to clap when she walked up. So can we give her a clap? Hello. Um, so, as you know, I'm Sarah. I'm just going to do... Am I on? Yeah. Oh, hello. Um, start again, I guess. Um, so, hello, I'm Sarah. Um, if you don't know me, it's because I was hiding from the stage because it's terrifying up here. Um, I'm the graphic designer here, so I'm usually hiding behind a computer or I'll be outside in the coffee area with our wonderful red teams. I have the privilege of leading our hospitality teams in the evening. Um, so if you want to sign up, we can chat later. Um, yeah, so last year I had the privilege of sharing what God had done, on my, done in my heart, um, and that was opening up what it means for a church to be a home. Um, and since then, I have had the privilege of being involved in the building project um, and continue to dig into what it means for a church to be more than just a house, but to actually be a spiritual home for people. Um, and so I've done a little bit of research, and I found some weird and wonderful things along the way. Um, but if you don't mind, I'm quickly going to share with you some of the things that qualify a building being a house. I mean, a building being a home, sorry. Um, so, one of the obvious things, um, a bunch of people said that it's not a home unless the fridge is well stocked. It's not a home unless the cushions on the bed are good. It's not your home unless there's a pet there. It's negotiable. Um, but then the strange one was, it's not a home unless you've had an argument there, which was really strange for me, anyway. Um, 
But the top three score is the things that it has to be in order for it to be a home, is it needs to have a place that is filled with happiness, a place that is filled with love, and is a place where you feel safe and secure. Um, and for me, that reflects so beautifully what a church should be for us. Um, these things all speak of value, um, and the value and the experience that you get there. Uh, so we are all wired to seek things of value. Uh, we want to add value to places, and we want places that we are involved in to add value to us. So that is why when Dan is talking about Key of Hope, something in your heart is tugging, you want to get involved, you want to add value there. When I said you could join the red team, you were really excited. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's why you're more likely to go back to a coffee shop if they remember your name or they know your order. And it's why places like Woolworths and Mr. Price and Pick and Pay and all of these places offer you home stuff because you get to take something home that adds value to your space. So my goal for our spaces is to create a safe environment where you can bring your stuff, where you can meet with God and wrestle through what you are going through. So remember that thing I said about the arguments. Um, this is a place where you get to come and have an argument with God, because we're not all kite surfers. We can't go shout in the middle of the ocean. Um, please don't come shout here, yeah? but you're more than welcome to come and wrestle here with God um, and build community at the same time. For me, a win would be if our spaces were welcoming, comfortable, inviting, um, and you felt cared for when you got here. So we've gone through this whole building project, um, which has been so inspiring to see how people have sown so faithfully um, and will possibly continue to sow faithfully. Um, but it's getting a little bit disheartening sometimes. Um, a friend of mine shared with me that a building project only comes together in the last five minutes. Um, and that's really been a saving grace for me because a lot of our spaces are looking amazing and have transformed amazingly and serve us well, but they're not serving us at the level that they could be because we haven't quite got to that last 5% where the real value is added. Um, and so we'll start to see that now where the major transformation takes place in that last five minutes or that last 5%. Um, so I'm just going to quickly walk you through our different spaces and our plans for the building just so you have an idea of where we're going and how we plan on serving you well. So our moms. A lot of us in the room aren't moms yet, but yet is the operative word there. Yeah, I've, I've seen you, because whenever moms and you think kids, you're like, ah, it's 20 years ago. And then I've seen, oopsie, it just happens. And then, then you want us to look after you. No, this, this area, I want you to think, when, when parents have kids, I was going to go bad, but when parents have kids... The pressure that mounts up is huge, and, and husbands are just praying, please, Lord, let my wife hear the message today. It's just, and, and we have, over the last season, because we had to do roofs and stuff, we couldn't do kids' areas, so we want to we fix kids' areas, so go for it. Okay, so when you do become a mom, or if you are already a mom, what you can expect, um, we have a beautiful room at the back of the, the auditorium where the moms can go with little babies so they can still hear the sermon and see the sermon through the one-way glass, um, but they get to have a quiet moment with their kids um, who still need to be with them. And right now they're a little bit in the dark um, because the lighting isn't great in there. Um, so we have big plans for lighting and nicer stuff and all sorts of little touches that are just going to transform that space. Again, it's that 5%. Um, that's just going to completely change the experience for them. And then there's a bunch of moms who sit like there on the other side of the wall, um, and they watch the service through a video feed. 
Um, and they are also having a few problems at the moment because they're trying to go up the stairs with a pram and a baby and a bag and another kid running away. Um, so we've got plans to help them have a better experience that side with wider staircases. Um, we've got pictures. We do have pictures, maybe. Okay. Okay. So that area is a creche space. Um, and right now, the kids are sometimes louder than the preach because they are playing and having a lot of fun. Um, but the preacher can't get loud enough that side. So um, we're going to be able to glass the kids off um, so the mom can still see. Okay, it sounded weird. Um, <laughs> the reason for that is so that you can't hear the kids, but you can see that they say it's not weird. It's not like a cage. I do it to them all the time. Um, yes, it's very child-friendly, don't worry, it's going to be comfortable for them, they'll be able to play and play with their Play-Doh and learn a little lesson and all sorts of amazing things while they're safe and, and the moms can still see that they are okay. The next space, moving on swiftly, um, is our Ladula land space. Uh, what our aim is for the space is to be able to transport these little kids into a magical little jungle. Have you got, have you got jungle pictures? We do have jungle pictures. So that's jungle. Jungle pictures, okay. So, um, this space, uh, what we want to do in this space is our goal is for when your kid walks in um, is to go, wow, like, so exciting, this amazing place. Um, and we really want it to be very difficult for the parents to be able to get their kids out of the space at the end of the lesson. Um, we are intentionally trying to make it difficult for you. We do ice cream as well. It's basically like giving kids cocaine at the end of the service. <laughs> at the end of the service. Um, and then... We really want them to learn such a profound lesson that in the car at home that they're actually teaching you um, what they learned, not just so you're actually getting two messages, you're getting the one from here and then also the one from Kids Church. Um, and then moving on to our slightly older kids, our impact age group, uh, they are currently in a garage space that feels a little bit like a garage space. But we have big plans for the space where um, kids can uh, get involved in a bunch of activities. So the reason we do this is the kids arrive, they're quite hyper, um, and a lot of you in the room are Kids Church volunteers, so this is also for you to know what we want to do in this space. Um, we want to create a space where kids in this age group are going through uh, life changes, they're figuring out who they are, um, or they have found out who they are and they have quite a strong personality and they know what they like. Um, and so we want to offer them a variety of things. So not just the energetic kids have, are catered for, but everyone in every range of character. Um, and so we're going to have lots of activity corners and high energy worship and reading corners and beautiful things where every kid in the space feels like they are cared for and they are seen and they are welcome there. Um, and so our goal for that space is to create a fun, vibrant space where every child feels like they belong, they love the space, they feel like they can own it, that it's their church space, um, and where they can gain understanding of God and then essentially eventually challenge their parents on what they know. So then moving on into this space, um, we work so hard on the kids' spaces because we want to make sure that everyone in this space gets the best experience they can uh, so that... If you do have a kid in Kids Church, you're not worrying about them, you know that they're safe, you know that they're learning something really cool um, and that they're cared for and that you can concentrate on being fully connected in worship and fully engaged in the preach so that you're getting the best out of this experience. Okay, and then our coffee area. Um, so the sole goal of the coffee area is to welcome you. 
um, to make sure that you are cared for, that you can grab a delicious cup of coffee. Um, and that's why we work at having a top 10 coffee in Durban. Um, and while we have things like red teams, just note there's another little punt. Um, you can sign up afterwards. Um, but the sole purpose of the red teams is to make you feel seen, make you feel welcome and cared for, um, and create another connection point for anyone coming into the building. Um, and then last week, you may have realized we stole the free tea and coffee from you. It was in the lounge, like Gary told us earlier. Um, so this space is a place where you can go and have a quieter conversation. We can go sit on a comfy couch, grab a free tea, or grab a free cup of tea or coffee, um, and have a, a more intimate experience. Have a, a DMC, have whatever you need to have, and a comfy chair, um, and just grab a quieter space where you can enjoy the, the experience after the service. Well done, sir. Give her a hand as she goes. Thank you. So, here's here's why that stuff matters. We have 110 kids come through Kids Church on a Sunday, and we're going to get involved in schools over the next season. And my prayer, because you reach kids below the age of 18, chances are they're going to they're going to stay in the faith. My prayer is that we fill that place up, and we reach lots and lots of parents who need God. The coffee area, we need to finish that whole space off. And here's the deal. Most people come into this church and they get packed like sardines in the bottom, which is awesome if you're like a 95% extrovert. But if you're an introvert, you're like, and you want to die. And one of the greatest challenges we have as a church is space. Space for people just to hang out and connect. And so we need to fix upstairs and downstairs because we need people to have space to hang out. You have no idea how much difference that makes. And so a bunch of other changes as well. It's going to cost about 550,000 rand. Now, here's the deal. I am not particularly worried if any of you give. God will provide. I'm, I'm really not that stressed. And I really want you to leave knowing that I have zero intention of guilting you into this. Like, absolutely nothing. But I'm praying that you, because if I'm going to teach on finance, it, and it's for me, I'm in trouble. But if I'm going to teach it for you, I'm going to do it with deep conviction. And so I'm praying that something of this gets into your heart, and you grab hold of the concept of sowing and reaping, and you trust in God, and you take a step. And so if you want to partner with us over the next few weeks, we'll give you an opportunity to do that. We're not gonna, it's not going to be money every week. Don't worry, you can chill. And we're not going to guilt anyone into this. But there'll be an opportunity for you to partner with us. And so, and my gut is if you do that, you're going to take a spiritual journey that will just go like this. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we wrap up, this part of the sermon, I ask God, this part of the series, I ask that you pour out your spirit into people. You begin speaking to them now. You begin grabbing hold of their hearts, that you will raise up a generation who are wealthy and generous and full of joy because they have money. Money doesn't have them. 
And I pray for grace on this church to begin to do that in greater ways so that the kingdom economics that you want for us will burst out into the road. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you. Join us for tea and coffee. Lovely being with you. Have a great evening.